Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Dialogue, Phaedo, Part 4 And shall we proceed a step further, and affirm that there is such a thing as equality, not of one piece of wood or stone with another, but that, over and above this, there is absolute equality? Shall we say so? Say so, yes, replied Simeus, and swear to it with all the confidence in life. And do we know the nature of this absolute essence? To be sure, he said. And whence did we obtain our knowledge? Did we not see equalities of material things, such as pieces of wood and stones, and gather from them the idea of an equality which is different from them? For you will acknowledge that there is a difference. Or look at the matter in another way. Do not the same pieces of wood or stone appear at one time equal, and at another time unequal? That is certain. But are real equals ever unequal? Or is the idea of equality the same as of inequality? Impossible, Socrates. Then these so-called equals are not the same with the idea of equality. I should say clearly not, Socrates. And yet, from these equals, although differing from the idea of equality, you conceived and attained that idea? Very true, he said. Which might be like, or might be unlike them? Yes. But that makes no difference. Whenever from seeing one thing you conceived another, whether like or unlike, there must surely have been an act of recollection. Very true. But what would you say of equal portions of wood and stone, or other material equals? And what is the impression produced by them? Are they equals in the same sense in which absolute equality is equal, or do they fall short of this perfect equality in a measure? Yes, he said, in a very great measure, too. And must we not allow that when I or anyone looking at any object observes that the thing which he sees aims at being some other thing, but falls short of and cannot be that other thing, but is inferior, he who makes this observation must have had a previous knowledge of that to which the other, although similar, was inferior. Certainly. And has not this been our own case in the matter of equals and of absolute equality? Precisely. Then we must have known equality previously to the time when we first saw the material equals and reflected that all these apparent equals strive to attain absolute equality, but fall short of it. Very true. And we recognize also that this absolute equality has only been known, and can only be known, through the medium of sight or touch, or of some other of the senses, which are all alike in this respect. Yes, Socrates, as far as the argument is concerned, one of them is the same as the other. From the senses, then, is derived the knowledge that all sensible things aim at an absolute equality of which they fall short? Yes. Then before we began to see or hear or perceive in any way, we must have had a knowledge of absolute equality, or we could not have referred to that standard the equals which are derived from the senses. For to that they all aspire. 
and of that they fall short. No other inference can be drawn from the previous statements. And did we not see and hear and have the use of our other senses as soon as we were born? Certainly. Then we must have acquired the knowledge of equality at some previous time. Yes. That is to say, before we were born, I suppose? True. And if we acquired this knowledge before we were born, and were born having the use of it, then we also knew before we were born, and at the instant of birth, not only the equal or the greater or the less, but all other ideas. For we are not speaking only of equality, but of beauty, goodness, justice, holiness, and of all which we stamp with the name of essence in the dialectical process, both when we ask and when we answer questions. Of all this we may certainly affirm that we acquired the knowledge before birth? We may. But if, after having acquired, we have not forgotten what in each case we acquired, then we must always have come into life having knowledge, and shall always continue to know as long as life lasts, for knowing is the acquiring and retaining knowledge and not forgetting. Is not forgetting, Simeus, just the losing of knowledge? Quite true, Socrates. But if the knowledge which we acquired before birth was lost by us at birth, and if afterwards by the use of the senses we recovered what we previously knew, will not the process which we call learning be a recovering of the knowledge which is natural to us, and may not this be rightly termed? Recollection? Very true. So much is clear that when we perceive something, either by the help of sight, or hearing, or some other sense. From that perception we are able to obtain a notion of some other thing like or unlike which is associated with it, but has been forgotten. Whence, as I was saying, one of two alternatives follows. Either we had this knowledge at birth, and continued to know through life, or, after birth, those who are said to learn only remember, and learning is simply recollection. Yes, that is quite true, Socrates. And which alternative, Simeus, do you prefer? Had we the knowledge at our birth, or did we recollect the things which we knew previously to our birth? I cannot decide at the moment. At any rate, you can decide whether he who has knowledge will or will not be able to render an account of his knowledge. What do you say? Certainly he will. But do you think that every man is able to give an account of these very matters about which we are speaking? Would that they could, Socrates. But I rather fear that tomorrow, at this time, there will no longer be anyone alive who is able to give an account of them, such as ought to be given. Then you are not of opinion, Simeus, that all men know these things? Certainly not. They are in process of recollecting that which they learned before? Certainly. But when did our souls acquire this knowledge? Not since we were born as men. Certainly not. And therefore previously? Yes. Then, Simeus, our souls must also have existed without bodies before they were in the form of man, and must have had intelligence. Unless, indeed, you suppose, Socrates, that these notions are given us at the very moment of birth, for this is the only time which remains. Yes, my friend, but if so, when do we lose them? 
for they are not in us when we are born. That is admitted. Do we lose them at the moment of receiving them? Or, if not, at what other time? No, Socrates, I perceive that I was unconsciously talking nonsense. Then may we not say, Simeus, that if, as we are always repeating, there is an absolute beauty and goodness and an absolute essence of all things, and if to this, which is now discovered to have existed in our former state, we refer all our sensations, and with this compare them, finding these ideas to be pre-existent, and our inborn possession. Then our souls must have had a prior existence, but if not, there would be no force in the argument. There is the same proof that these ideas must have existed before we were born, as that our souls existed before we were born. And if not the ideas, then not the souls. Yes, Socrates. I am convinced that there is precisely the same necessity for the one as for the other, and the argument retreats successfully to the position that the existence of the soul before birth cannot be separated from the existence of the essence of which you speak. For there is nothing which to my mind is so patent as that beauty, goodness, and the other notions of which you were just now speaking have a most real and absolute existence. And I am satisfied with the proof. Well, but is Cebes equally satisfied? For I must convince him, too. I think, said Simeus, that Cebes is satisfied, although he is the most incredulous of mortals. Yet I believe that he is sufficiently convinced of the existence of the soul before birth. But that after death the soul will continue to exist is not yet proven even to my own satisfaction. I cannot get rid of the feeling of the many to which Cebes was referring. The feeling that when the man dies the soul will be dispersed, and that this may be the extinction of her, for admitting that she may have been born elsewhere, and framed out of other elements, and was in existence before entering the human body. Why, after having entered in, and gone out again, may she not herself be destroyed, and come to an end? Very true, Simeus, said Cebes. About half of what was required has been proven to wit, that our souls existed before we were born, that the soul will exist after death as well as before birth, is the other half of which the proof is still wanting, and has to be supplied. When that is given, the demonstration will be complete. But that proof, Simeus and Cebes, has been already given, said Socrates, if you put the two arguments together, I mean this and the former one, in which we admitted that everything living is born of the dead. For if the soul exists before birth, and in coming to life and being born, can be born only from death and dying, must she not, after death, continue to exist, since she has to be born again? Surely the proof which you desire has been already furnished. Still I suspect that you and Simeus would be glad to probe the argument further. Like children, you are haunted with a fear that when the soul leaves the body, the wind may really blow her away and scatter her, especially if a man should happen to die in a great storm, and not when the sky is calm. Cebes answered with a smile, Then, Socrates, you must argue us out of our fears. And yet, strictly speaking, they are not our fears. But there is a child within us to whom death is a sort of hobgoblin. Him, too, we must persuade not to be afraid when he is alone in the dark. Socrates said, 
Let the voice of the charmer be applied daily until you have charmed away the fear. And where shall we find a good charmer of our fears, Socrates, when you are gone? Hellas, he replied, is a large place, Cebes, and has many good men. And there are barbarous races, not a few. Seek for him among them all, far and wide, sparing neither pains nor money. For there is no better way of spending your money. And you must seek among yourselves, too, for you will not find others better able to make the search. The search, replied Cebe, shall certainly be made. And now, if you please, let us return to the point of the argument at which we digressed. By all means, replied Socrates. What else should I please? Very good. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.